0: I want to give us a theological basis for why we're doing what we're doing. Unchained. God's word is not changed. Our lives are not changed. What God has done is God has entrusted you with the absolute most powerful message in the world, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that transforms people's very lives. And it's been given to us, and we have the privilege of being able to take that out. So what I want to do this morning is I want to jump ahead. We're in the Gospel of Mark. I want to jump ahead, if you will, to Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And I want to look at what Jesus does. Jesus calls a man by the name of Levi. But what's interesting is because of the nature of who Levi is and what he's done in his past, Jesus basically goes into his world and says, I'm going to not only transform you, but I want to transform the world that you're a part of. In other words, we watch Jesus moving out and taking the message of who he is, what he's done, and it's an encouragement to us to do the same thing, to move out. Let me ask you something. Who grates on your nerves the most? Is it a political party? Is it a person? Who grates on your nerves the most? That's what Jesus did. He went out to a tax collector, and he lived among the sinners, the tax collectors and sinners. That's a disparaging term, if you will. And Jesus entered into their world. And I think what Jesus would say is this. You need to enter into that world. You need to enter into the world of the despised person. You need to enter into that world because they are ultimately sick. Maybe not physically, but they are sick on the inside, a disease called sin. And you and I have the privilege of taking that out. And that's what we're going to see in our text this morning, in the few minutes that we have left. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Let me read our text. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake, and a large crowd came to him and began to teach them. And he's walked along. He saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. And there were many who followed him. Verse 14, I'm sorry, 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him, eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples in a disparaging way, what in the world is he doing? What does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is a religious man. This is a rabbi. This is a guy who thinks he comes from God. He's hanging around with the wrong people. What is his problem? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. I believe what we have in this passage is a beautiful description of how Jesus the Messiah, Jesus the Anointed One, Jesus Son of God, comes and how he relates to outcasts in society. And I think it's an important kind of text because it's it's recorded in Matthew and it's recorded in Luke. In other words, in the synoptic gospels, we have this picture of Jesus and who he is and how he relates to people who are totally different, the outcasts of society. And what I want to do is I just want to walk through this text with you this narrative, pull out some principles, and then maybe draw some application of how you and I need to maybe move out our message, move out into areas that may make us feel a little bit uncomfortable. So let's just look at this text. Number one, Jesus is moving out, number one, because of his message. Look again at verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Now what's interesting is, this. I think in verse 13, Mark highlights a bunch of common themes. In the Gospel of Mark, the sea, the lake, the Sea, the sea of Galilee, the, the water, the ministry area that he would be a part of. Uh, over and over when you read through uh, Mark, Jesus is around large crowds. doesn't matter where he's at. There's large crowds, people flocking to him. In chapter 1, there's such a large crowd that it says this. There's so many people at the door of Peter's house, they can't even get in. They're flocking to him because of his ministry. And, and Jesus has had this wonderful, wonderful ministry. As he begins, he's basically... Kicked out of Nazareth, he goes into the synagogue of Nazareth. He begins to teach and preach, and they look at him, and they say, Who is this guy? We don't necessarily like him, and they didn't embrace his message in his own hometown. So he leaves Nazareth, and now he's up at the top of the Sea of Galilee, is in this Capernaum area, and he's already had a great ministry. If you go back and read chapter 1, you see lives have been radically changed because of Jesus' message a man who was demon-possessed. He was chained, if you will. He was chained, this demon possession. He's freed because of Jesus' message and how radically Jesus spoke into his life and changed him. Again, in chapter 1, verse 33, Peter's house. Because of his ministry and the healing that was going on, all of these people are flocking to his house. There's so many people, they can't even get to the door. They can't even get inside. And he's healing all of these people. In chapter 1, verse 40, there's a man with a dreaded skin disease. He's separate. He's bound by... This disease. In other words, he can't be a part of the community. He can't be a part of the synagogue. He, he can't be a part of anything. He's, he's bound up, if you will, because of this disease. And what Jesus does is Jesus comes and he, and he frees him of this dreaded skin disease of leprosy. And what does he do? He says, you, you are now back into the community. You're restored back into the community. Why? Because I've healed you. I brought, I brought healing into your life. And, and right before our text here, there's a paralytic, a man, four people. They, they lure him through the house. They through him the house, and, he, and he's paralyzed, and he can't move. And, and Jesus says, take up your mat, leave, and go home. And, and Jesus speaks these words and brings not only physical healing to this man, but he, he speaks in such a way that the people know that Jesus is dealing something beyond the physicalness of life. He's dealing with an issue of sin. He's dealing with this issue that we need to be reconciled to a holy God. And so Jesus comes, and he's got this message. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. In other words, are you prepared? Are you prepared to stand before your God and give an account for your life? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Three weeks ago, my brother, living in Ritzville, passed away suddenly. We don't even know how he died. Walking through his house, gets in the middle of the house, falls over. We're still waiting for the autopsy. I've heard of time after time of people experiencing death in such a dramatic and surprising fashion. And I think what, what Jesus is doing, he's bringing this message of repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He's reminding us, are you prepared to stand before God and give an account for your life? Are you stand before, ready to stand before him face to face and give an account for your life? Are you prepared to answer for the way that you've lived your life? And what Jesus did, he came and he brought this elaborate message of who he is about his life, death, burial, and resurrection. And it was such an incredible message that people didn't get it, especially the religious leaders, the Pharisees here. See, the Pharisees thought, who are mentioned in here, the Pharisees thought that in order for them to stand face-to-face and have this relationship with God, they needed to separate themselves up. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to pray in this way. I need to uh, give in this way. I I need to do all of these external kinds of things. They were Pharisees. They basically separated themselves away from everyone. Now listen, it's good to want to be like God. It's good to desire to be holy. It's good to want to approach your relationship with God. But the way that God deals with us, the way that Jesus deals with us, is not by externals. It's not about what we do. It's not about following this law. It's about a condition of our heart. That's why he comes and says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent has this idea of, I need to change something that's going on on the inside. And the Pharisees didn't get it. They thought it was all about them, the rules, the regulations, and what I need to do in order to earn. And notice the rebuke that Jesus offers to them in verse 17. Notice how Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. Notice how Jesus speaks to this idea of being separate, about achieving holiness, achieving a relationship with God through the things that you do. Verse 17 says this, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Basically, this is a proverb. The proverb is very, very simple. When you're sick, what do you do? If you're really, really sick, you go to a doctor, right? You want someone, a professional, come and you want them to diagnose what's going on with your foot or your leg or whatever. We want them to be able to do that, whatever testing needs to be done. When was the last time you said, man, I feel great. Man, I'm losing weight. My skin looks good. I think I'm going to go to the doctor and find out what's wrong. No, we don't we don't do that. We we only go to a doctor when, when something is is a problem. And and that's the message that Jesus is dealing with here with the religious leaders and the Pharisees and the society the idea of Jesus' message moving out. He says, I want to go to the other cities and I want to go to these other regions because I preach a message of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm preaching a message of the gospel and I want to take that message out because it's not the same kind of message that the culture has. It's not the same kind of message that the religious leaders have. They have one of separation. I have one of inclusion. I have one of grace. And that's what Jesus was doing. He says, listen, if you're sick, not just physically, if you're sick on the inside, if your heart is diseased, if there's a burden, if there's something going on deep down inside of you, Jesus, I can come and free you of that burden. That's the message that he brought out. And that's why Jesus is moving out from Capernaum, the Sea of Galilee, all of these different places, back and forth across the land, because he wants to bring this message of life change. But that's the second reason why he's moving out. Look at verse 14. Who do you hang out with? You know, the, the reality is, don't we kind of hang out with people that are like us? Don't we do that? We just hang out with people that we feel comfortable with, political party, socially. We kind of hang out with the same kinds of people. Notice what's happening here. And by the way, notice, notice Levi's friends and how many of them he has, verse 14. As he walked along, Jesus walked along, he says this, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in a tax collector's booth. Ding, 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 that's not good, tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. What we have here is this Jesus ministering in the Sea of Galilee, he begins to go out and he begins to minister. And we don't know how long this was between the calling of Levi. We don't know exactly when this, if it was a day or two. We don't know exactly what's happening. We know that he's sitting at a tax collector's booth, and it's probably a really popular place. You know, we talk about for a house location, location, location. I think that's what was true here. You know, a major thoroughfare to Rome and Egypt. Uh, in, uh, East and West, this major thoroughfare, all of these different kinds of people coming in, and he's at the central location. What he has the great honor of doing is collecting taxes. Maybe it's a fixed tax. We don't know. Probably some other kind of tax, this arbitrary kind of tax where he can basically set whatever amount he wants, but he is a tax collector. And the problem with the tax collectors, they're very dishonest. They were disloyal and dishonest. They had a horrible reputation. I mean, when you think about taxes, I mean, when you think about paying taxes in the art, do you have a, a really high opinion of that? I don't think we do, do we? We, we don't understand and trust the taxes that are going away. We, we get fearful of the taxes that we pay. I remember a friend of mine, um, his uh, nephew was a, was a hockey player. He was a professional hockey player. And he got a bonus um, for signing with this particular team. And this is really a hysterical story. So he gets this bonus and he looks at the check. And there is a lot of money missing from this check. And he's like, well, where's all my money? He said, they, they took it out for taxes. He thought he'd been robbed. They took a lot of money out of his check for taxes. So when we think about tax code, when we think about these kinds of things in our culture and society, we kind of take a step back and maybe we're a little bit fearful. Where, where are all the taxes going? And Laura and I bought plane tickets. Man, I got a great deal on these plane tickets to fly to Seattle. I click on it, and all of a sudden, you've got the price, and then you've got the taxes and fees. And you're like, what? $47 in taxes and fees? And then you want to scroll down and look at where all the money is going. And then they got fees in there on fees, and you don't even know where it is, right? Now, we we feel a little bit like that with the IRS and and paying of taxes. And so there's no doubt this, this apprehensiveness on our part with regard to taxes, paying our taxes and tax collectors that's true here in this situation. I can imagine Levi sitting here, and they had these fixed tax. A fixed tax was something where you had to pay, and the money actually went to, to Rome, to the Roman Empire, maybe to pay for their wars, their, their roads, or whatever. There was a fixed tax. But there's also this arbitrariness of taxes. Or maybe you had some grain in your little cart here. Or maybe you got some fish over here. Or maybe you got some literature. Well, oh, what we could do is we can well, how many of you got there? Well, well that's, that's, that's the, the tax for today. There was a lot of arbitrary ways that they could earn money, get money by simply making them pay a little bit more. It wasn't fixed. So a lot of them made a lot of money doing this. Depending upon who you are, depending on how they related to you, they could charge you any kind of arbitrary amount of you. There's a tendency to be dishonest. And dis- you ever been that way before? Been in that situation before? We did a mission trip. I I think it was Bolivia. It wasn't with Gary, but I think it was Bolivia in the 1990s. And it's typical when I go on a mission trip or a trip, they lose a bag. Well, they didn't lose a bag. They had my bag, and I could I could walk up to where it was, and the bag was right there. I could almost touch the bag. I could see the bag. I could know that the bag was there. I could not have the bag. I think the reason. They didn't want to give me the bag is because they wanted to charge me some kind of fee. They wanted to either bribe me or charge me some kind of external. And it doesn't feel good. It makes you distrust the people. It makes you distrust the system going along here. And that's Levi. He's a tax collector. He's supposedly dishonest and disloyal. By the way, his name is what? Levi. He's named after one of the 12 tribes. He's a Jewish tax collector. And what's he doing? He's collecting taxes for the enemy. He's collecting taxes for Rome. He's collecting taxes. A Jewish tax collector is collecting taxes from Jewish people and passing them on to Rome. He's a traitor to all of the people. He was despised. This guy probably doesn't have a lot of family and friends hanging around with him. His reputation is a tax collector as being dishonest and disloyal was right there. Imagine what life was like for him. I don't think he liked the way that people viewed him. I don't think he liked the way that people felt about him, being dishonest, disloyal to his people. Imagine what's going on inside of his heart. And I believe at this particular point, I believe he heard Levi. I mean, he heard Jesus. I believe he'd heard some messages, or he'd heard about Jesus and about his, he'd heard some things about who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's, and how he relates to us. And and notice what happens. Despite his reputation, despite his occupation, despite all of those things, Jesus comes up to him and says this. What? Rabbi, teacher, man of God, the man who we believe has come from God, the one who does miracles, the one who speaks authoritatively, the one who drives out demons, the, the one who heals leprosy. This religious man has called me to what? To follow him and be a fisher of men? How can this be? And the text says this. He got up and followed him. In the the gospel of Luke, it says he left everything and followed him. Listen, let's not pass over that. Let's not pass over the significance of what he did. When was the last time God asked you to do something in a radical way and you immediately said, yeah, I'm going to do it? Maybe it's with your finances. Maybe it's a job. Maybe God has asked you to go and do something. And you're hammering and hauling, going, well, I don't know, Lord. I need a sign. Because we do that. Let's let's not forget the radical nature of Levi dropping everything. And by the way, James and John and the others have done the same thing. They've dropped all of these things. and They said, listen, we're going to follow this guy. Jesus' message is going out. Jesus is coming into the world, and he's calling them and us to follow. And notice one last thing about how Jesus moves out. Look at verse 15. The scene changes. He calls Levi. We don't know again how long this was. He calls Levi following follow me, maybe a day or two. And Levi says, listen, will you come to my house? Will you come have dinner with me? Can we break bread? Can we have fellowship? And I got a, I got a bunch of my friends that would love to meet you. They've got tattoos. They drink beer. They smoke, probably cuss. But, but would you come and meet them? And Jesus says, no, I won't do that. It's not what he says. Well, Jesus is having dinner at Levi's house. By the way, when you look at this verse, who is the main, the main focus? It's Jesus. Well, Jesus is having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors and sinners were there. I love that. Many tax collectors and sinners. Jesus has radically changed his life. Jesus is calling, hey guys, come on. I want you to meet this guy. I want you to meet this guy. Jesus, you gotta meet him. It's interesting when you go to John chapter one. Andrew calls Simon. And Nathaniel, I think, calls somebody else. I know I got mixed up. I know that Andrew calls Simon, and then Nathaniel calls somebody else. In, in other words, you have this idea of, of people bringing their friends to Jesus, which probably means what, that's what you and I need to be doing. We need to be bringing ourselves to people and telling them about Jesus. And, and that's what's happening here. He says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him. And his disciples, for there are many that followed him. What did Jesus do? He moved into their world. He moved exactly into their world. Yeah, I'll come to your house. I will lay at the, uh, lay at the table. I will break bread with you. I will fellowship with you. I will you with you. I will gather together with you. Tax collectors, dishonest, loyal, sinners. Sinners, are you kidding me? People who violate the law. People who are ceremonially unclean. People who are maybe immoral, yeah, I, I'm going to come and I'm going to break bread with you and I'm going to be a part of that and I'm going to come. Not because he was fearful that they might contaminate them, but he knew because he was the great physician that he was the healer, that he could heal not only physically, that he could heal the human heart. He was going to go look beyond all of the externals and say, I want to deal with the human heart. Your hearts are diseased and sick. What I want to do as the great physician is to come and bring healing to your to your heart. And that's what he did. One man said this, Ray Stedman, I, I love this line, and you'll like it. Right in the middle of the beer and poker chips, there sits Jesus. Who's among them? Go back to verse one. The Son of God, the United One, the Messiah. The one in verse 13, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, is sitting right in the midst of the tax collectors and sinners. He's entered into their world. Why? To introduce them to his life, death, burial, and resurrection, that there is a new way of living. Listen, I, I don't think that this is in the Gospel of Mark. This, this narrative is in the Gospel of Mark. And I don't think it's in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And I don't think it's in the Gospel of Luke as a picture of one person coming to salvation and one person following Jesus. I, I think it's there as a model for the ministry that Jesus had. He's saying, listen, I want you people to move out into your world. Go to lost people whose hearts are sick, and you have the only cure for that. You have the message of the life. Death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. You have the opportunity to allow people to repent and be transformed on the inside. That's ultimately what missions is all about, taking the message of Jesus out. So let me just end with this. How does Jesus' story, the the Mark story, and how does our story relate together? Let me just draw this out. The theme for the conference is this 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Let me put this... Uh, the verse up there. Paul is writing to Timothy, and notice what he writes. He says this, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. That's the, the death of Jesus. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. It, it didn't matter where Paul was at. He was in prison. It didn't matter what was going on in his life. What he wanted to do, what he recognized is that, that God's word is not changed. that when we bring... The message of the gospel, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. When we leave our comfort zones and go and take that message out, it transforms people. When tonight I, I did the Discovery of Hope class, I love doing the Discovery of Hope class because I get to hear people's stories. Two people in there, both of them shared personal experience about how the Word of God, the unchained Word of God, had changed their life. One of them from a, from, a, from a child... The word of God changed their life. The word of God is unchanged, and you and I have the great privilege of being able to take that message out. So what do we do? I believe that God wants to, us, you and I, to take that message out into the world and take that message to hurting people. Jesus came because we as human beings are sick, and they need to hear about Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse eight says this, but God demonstrates his lone love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, in my sick condition, living in uh, Southern California, in Virginia, my immorality and my drinking and all of that ugliness, that sickness, the sickness of the soul, it says God demonstrates his love. In that condition, Jesus came and said, listen, I'm going to go, and I'm going to offer myself as a sacrifice. Why? So that you can find healing. You can find healing for your soul, one day physical healing, but the forgiveness of sin, that we can be transformed and changed on the inside. Second thing I, want, I believe that he wants us to do is this, move out. Listen, maybe God is nudging you to an area that you've never thought of. Maybe God is asking you to go somewhere. That's Mike had no idea what he was doing. We had no idea what was going on the first trip we ever did. Maybe God is pushing you out of your comfort zone. That's a good place to be. That's an okay place to be because it causes us to be dependent upon Jesus. Isn't it? You know, I, 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 I ride a motorcycle. And I am intentionally in and around people that I know are very, very different. from I I went to, Laura and I went to a a party about two, three weeks ago. And there's drinking and there's all this stuff kind of going on. And they know me. I'm the preacher. And I don't want to be known as the preacher. I want to be known as the guy who loved Jesus. And I have a great message. It's not about me. It's about the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and how he can radically change. So I go to those things because I want to be a part of that. Want to be a part of when life breaks down for someone. I have the opportunity to come alongside and pray. And I think that's what God would want us to do. Now, where is that place that you and I need to be pushed? That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is moving out, and he wants us to move out into those uncomfortable places and do those uncomfortable. One last verse, and then we're done. I love this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. This is how he describes our life. Paul describes our life. Do you know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanders, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Wow, I'm so glad I'm not in that list. No, I'm in that list because I'm a liar. Because I think I'm not in that list, but I am in that list. And notice what he says, but that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of God because of the message of Jesus, life, death, burial, and resurrection, because of the forgiveness that he offers to us, that we can be changed on the inside, that I can be forgiven of my sin. I have been washed. I have been cleansed. I have been justified. And when Jesus looks at me, he says, boom, you are righteous. That's what the Pharisee wanted. Clint, you are righteous, not because of anything that you've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he does. You are clothed with the very righteousness of God. Isn't that awesome? And that's what we have the privilege of being able to tell people. That's ultimately what today and next week and ultimately every Sunday's about, about us taking the message of Jesus out to those who do not know. So let me pray. We're going to sing or pray. Oh, we're right on time. We're right on time. Father, today's just a good day. The sun is shining. We feel the warmth of the beauty of your sun, a reminder that spring is around the corner. The sun's a reminder that you're the creator, God, who loves us. And you set and spoke the word. So it spoke the the world into existence, Lord, and we are are people who love you and we're mindful of, of what you've done for us. And Father, we just thank you for the privilege of being able to gather this morning. Father, I thank you for Jesus, that he saved my life, that he saved me from my sin. And Father, I do pray that you would burn that message in my heart, in the hearts of every person here, that we would relish in the great privilege we have, not the fear, but the great privilege we have of being able to tell people about who Jesus is and what he's done. Father, you are the great physician and we hold the message of forgiveness, the message of healing for the world. Father, I thank you for this morning in Jesus' name, amen.